In Session with Dr. Farid Hulaku. Good afternoon and welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Hulaku, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes. The studio number 3104410555. Before I get started, the book of the week for this week is The Body Keeps the Score by Bezel van der Kolk. The Body Keeps the Score, Brain, Mind, and Body in the Healing of Trauma. And this is a very well-known book when it comes to the treatment of trauma that I'd heard a lot about but actually had never read, uh, and I'm enjoying it so far. And I mentioned on Monday's show that I'll talk about it on this coming Monday, but because of the President's Day holiday here in the United States, we won't be doing live programming Monday at Radio Hamra, so I'll be talking about this book next week on Wednesday. So that's The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. So today is... February 13th here in the United States, which means tomorrow is Valentine's Day, February 14th. Um, That's a day that can bring lots of feelings for lots of people. People who are in relationships might be anxious or nervous or excited about what to do or what's going to happen. People who are single sometimes can get very down on Valentine's Day, wishing they did have someone to be with or someone to share that with. So I wanted to talk about some different aspects of not just Valentine's Day, but really more romance. And so to begin with, a lot of times people, uh, usually more men, will get upset about Valentine's Day and say that it's a commercialized holiday and it's a day they're forcing us to be romantic and you go out to dinner and it's expensive and crowded and all sorts of things. And why should I have to be forced to show love on a particular day or in a particular way just because other people are saying it? And I can accept that to a degree. I think it'd still be nice to share that. And most importantly, it's to communicate with your partner, as with all things, of what they want and what's expected and making sure you're on the same page. And so what I tell couples is you don't have to celebrate Valentine's Day on Valentine's Day as long as you want to have 10, 15 other days like that throughout the year where you are romantic and exchange gifts and and enjoy each other in that way, in a romantic way. That's okay with me. So it doesn't have to be Valentine's Day, but it doesn't mean you never have to do that. Because for some people, expressing love and affection and that type of tenderness that comes with being emotionally intimate is not something easy for them. So they're looking for a way out. And so they'll say it's because of the commercialized part and almost like they're taking a political stance and it's like such a righteous thing to do. But really it's that they have a discomfort with that. And also there can be a lot of pressure on stereotypically on the man to make the plans or to do something very romantic and that pressure can feel overwhelming and so they want to reduce that pressure or take it away and say we shouldn't even care about that holiday or celebrate it. So whatever you choose to do or don't do, hope everyone enjoys their day tomorrow. Uh, Depending on how the show goes, I might talk about self-love 
also because sometimes we think of Valentine's Day just about romantic love, but it could be a day about love in general. It doesn't just have to be romantic. But in when it comes to romance itself, a lot of times we think of romance as these grand gestures. So especially on Valentine's Day, we think of gifts, things like roses and chocolates and jewelry and other things that people might buy for each other. On Valentine's Day, we think of that as romance or the, the rose petals in the bedroom or um, whatever else people might do to celebrate it in this romantic way. And those things are not bad, obviously. They can be very good and nice and things you can share with each other. But what really builds romance in relationship or what romance really looks like are things that aren't that exciting or dramatic or really wouldn't make much of a moment in a movie. Sometimes we get wrapped up in what the movies show us about romance and think that it's supposed to look a particular way, that it has to be these grand gestures, these big things, these big moments that are, uh, you know, there's music and it builds up and it's so exciting. And those can be nice, but that doesn't give us a realistic view of what actually builds romance. Because what we see in relationships or what keeps them happy and alive and strong is the small gestures you can make every single day. It's taking a break from watching your show to listen to your partner share about their day if they're in a bad mood. It's not some big gesture, but that can mean a lot. Or making sure when your partner is telling you something important, you put your phone away and look at them and give them eye contact. Again, not some huge gesture that's going to be posted on Instagram, but something that means a lot and could mean a lot in keeping that connection and building that connection with your partner. Or remembering that they have a big meeting later in the day and sending them a text or giving them a call to wish them luck, to let them know you're thinking of them. These are really the steps that make romance. So a lot of times people are looking for something that they can post on social media to show what their partner did for them or what they're going to do for their partner. Because unfortunately, very often we're living our lives for other people and we'd rather think or have people think we're in a very happy romantic relationship than to actually have one ourselves. Sometimes that can become the priority, unfortunately. But if we really want to keep the romance alive, what we want to make sure we're doing is every day making small steps, small gestures towards our partner to let them know we're keeping them in mind, we care about them, that they are the most important thing in our life. And we show that to them every day. So that means that even when it's inconvenient, sometimes you'll make time for your partner. Even when you might be tired yourself, you might make a small sacrifice for your partner to make sure he or she is okay, that you always keep them in mind. This is what makes romance. This is what makes people stay close. So when you're thinking about what to do for Valentine's Day, as I mentioned before, sometimes especially guys can feel a lot of pressure of what to do. And it can be nice to do something nice and um, do something that you think your partner will enjoy. But also keep in mind that romance is built every day. It's not something that's just in these big moments. It's in the small moments as well. And even when it comes to giving gifts, one important thing to keep in mind is thinking about what your partner wants. Very often people give gifts that it's almost as if it's what they would want or what they think their partner would want. And so when we talk about the thought that goes into a gift, a lot of times it's not just the thought, how long you thought about it, but that your gift reflects you really know and understand your partner. And so what I actually recommend people to do, and I've done it myself, is that when you're with someone, 
you keep a little note, something just maybe even in your phone in the notes section, of different gift ideas or things you can get for your partner. When they show interest in a particular thing, you can just write that note. Oh, he likes this sports team or this TV show, or she likes this or she likes that, or we were at the store and she noticed this dress or he noticed that tie and he didn't get it, but you might keep note of it just to keep track of what you think your partner might like or might want. And then, then in that way, when it comes time to get them a gift, whether it's for a birthday, anniversary, Valentine's Day, or just to get them a gift, you can keep that list in mind or bring out that list to help figure out what to get. Because a lot of times people say, I have no idea what to get for my partner. And a lot of times it's hard because we feel a pressure to get them something really good. So I understand that. But at the same time, if you're really feeling connected to your partner, you should know them well enough to have an idea of some things they might like or might want or something that might be special for them. And to me, always a good gift or types of gifts to get people is something that they would enjoy, but something they might not get for themselves. A lot of people might not get something personalized with their name on it or their picture on it themselves, but if you give it to them, it can be very special and something that they'll really appreciate. So in giving gifts, we want to make sure we pay attention to our partner and see what they want. And that's the important thing. It's like if you're cooking for someone. Of course, you might like particular types of food, but when you cook for someone else, you want to cook what they'll like, what they find delicious and enjoyable. And so we have to make sure when we get a gift or if we're planning a party or planning some kind of surprise for them, we have them in mind that it's something that they're going to enjoy and something that they are going to like. So tomorrow is Valentine's Day, and I hope people don't put a lot of pressure on themselves because I think oftentimes it can turn into fights and things because people are expecting too much. But go into it with the feeling of it's my day to express love to my partner, or I should say a day to express love to my partner or my loved one. Uh, and I want to make sure I do that. And I hope I'm doing that every day, not just on those particular days. And if you don't have someone, I hope people won't make it too big of a deal either. There's just that idea of you have to be sad if you're alone on Valentine's Day, and that's not the case. If you feel sad, maybe it's because you do want to be with someone, and that's fine, and you can make an effort to do that. But it doesn't have to be a day that you have to be sad or unhappy. If you aren't in a relationship, you likely have a friend who also is not in a relationship. You can hang out with them, have a good time, be loving towards each other. Even as friends, it doesn't have to be something that brings you down or makes you very sad. But we can really put a lot of uh, weight into these types of holidays, even though, again, to me, Valentine's Day itself is not that significant. I think it's nice to have a day of expressing love that's devoted towards relationships and love, but it shouldn't be the only day you do it anyway. So if you don't have someone on that day, you can have your Valentine's Day in August or December or whenever else it is, and hopefully have a few of them throughout the, the year as well. So I hope everyone enjoys their Valentine's Day tomorrow night. If you are celebrating it, whatever you end up doing, hope you enjoy it, hope you make it meaningful and special. And again, if you're one of those guys that says, I don't believe in Valentine's Day, sometimes like it's a religion. Um, if you don't want to do something special on Valentine's Day, I hope you'll do it many times throughout the year, even if you don't want to do it on that one day. So you're not just off the hook because you don't want to do something on Valentine's Day. Um, but 
do it throughout the year as well, and that'll be okay. So let's go to a commercial break. We have some callers on the line. You don't have to call about love or Valentine's Day. It's a regular show. Uh, studio number 310-441-0555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delaqui. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Studio number 310-441-0555. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Oh, hi. Uh, uh, good afternoon. Um, okay. Uh, I have a 17-year-old son. Mm-hmm. Uh, he diagnosed with Asperger when he was seven. Mm-hmm. And uh, from that time, we uh, saw psychologists all the time. He's taking lots of m- different me- kind of medication. And uh, he was okay. When he was in elementary, he was okay. And everything was under control. Still, we have a problem with him and struggling with her. He's not listening to us. Uh, but uh, uh, still, we could manage. But when he went to high school, uh, grade 9, he was okay. But from grade 10, he stopped not going to school. And now he's supposed to be in grade 12. But... He didn't go to school, he didn't pass any courses, and he's getting worse and worse. He's in, he's, still is on medication, uh, but uh, he, he refused to go into school. He was sleeping all the time. He used to go to gym, but he, he stopped going to gym. And I'm very worried for him because instead of he's getting better with this medication, he's getting worse. Um, the reason I'm calling you, I want to get some advice from you. Is there any... Um, solution in LA for him because we live in Toronto okay. and visit lots of doc, different kind of doctor, uh, psychologists, uh, psychiatrists, uh, but it's still nothing work for him. Well, okay, so the thing with Asperger's syndrome um, yes. is that, well, it's, it used to be considered its own diagnosis. Things have changed. Now they consider they have it under autism spectrum. It always was yes. part of the autism spectrum, yes. but nonetheless, it definitely has a difference between usually what we consider autism because they're okay with verbal communication, whereas with yes. autism, usually they have mm-hmm. problems, but they have difficulties with social uh, interactions, reading social cues, understanding those things, and that can make things very difficult. Exactly. And there yes. is some other um, qualities that are similar to autism, like they do like they don't do very well with change and they like things to be the same way and and certain things like that, which can make it challenging for them because they can't handle a lot of things. Things can make them very stressed out or they can get upset easily. And I know you kept saying it's not getting fixed, but something like Asperger's, although treatment can be very helpful, it's not something that goes away. So your son will always have Asperger's. Now, hopefully it can become more manageable or he can deal with it better but it doesn't mean it's ever going away. So that's one thing you might have to keep in mind and accept that this is something that is in a way a part of your son, that no one nowhere can just take this away. It's not like depression where people get depressed and then they can recover and no longer be depressed. He's always going to have Asperger's and he's dealing with it. What it sounds like is that he's very depressed right now from what yes, you're describing. Exactly. He's getting worse, yes, yes. Well, I mean, I know you're saying he's getting worse, but it's not that it's the Asperger's getting worse, it's that he's getting depressed. Now, maybe because uh-huh. he has Asperger's, he's getting depressed, because, again, a lot of times people who have Asperger's have a hard time socially, so they can feel alone or isolated and have a hard time making friends or keeping friendships. 
Yes, and that's exactly. something. So, so how does he do socially? Uh, you know, he he used to see his friend, but he didn't have friend like a just few friend in his life. But he used to uh, get along with him, going to movie theater or just a, just a few times, not like the other children. But now he he refused to see them, even you know, they're very close friend, but he doesn't like to see them. That's why. Uh, do you know he's getting uh, that the reason I'm getting getting worse because when he refused, they call him, but he didn't answer the phone call, the messages. That's why they don't call him again. Sure. Have you asked him what's going on? Uh, yeah, he said uh, um, um, nobody likes me. Mm. Do you know most of the time he thinks he's bad. And he mm-hmm. said, nobody likes me, no, I'm creepy, I'm ugly, <laughs> something like that he's using all the time. But it's not. Uh, but I asked their friend, as I said, no, we tried to contact him, but he never answered. Always he, you know, the problem is always he blamed himself uh, for not being good, not doing well. Uh, he, you know, we sent him uh, working somewhere as a part-time job, uh, but he, he, because he, he couldn't work properly and the, her hand, his hand like it doesn't work properly, they fire him and I said, see, nobody hire me, mm. I'm not good at anything and he's not going to school and... Um, you mean he dropped out of high school? He, yes, yeah. Mm. Okay. I mean, he does seem like he's, he, yeah, you're right, he's not doing well, he's seems very depressed and not doing, uh, not feeling good about himself and this is something unfortunately common for people with Asperger's is that they do have a hard time with their friendships. And I know you're saying he's not these things, but maybe at times he's gotten the message before that he made people uncomfortable or something. So we don't want to tell him he's always wrong. Now, we don't want to tell him he's right, that he's difficult or he's people don't want to be his friend. But we do want to make sure we're listening to him because he, he's definitely in a lot of pain right now. Yes, he's yes. not doing well. And now the medications he's on, is any of them an antidepressant? Uh, yes, he's taking Prozac right now, okay. and he uh, he he was on Cipralix before, but it doesn't work, and doctor changed it. And uh, sometimes doctor, uh, do not he gave him uh, Vivan for concentration, uh, but he's not taking all the time. He's taking just sometimes because he uh, I don't know he's he's and the other thing he's checking all side effects. He's really good uh, in uh, do not. Uh, checking internet about side effects and always said, oh, this have side effects, I don't want to take it. And he stopped the medication by himself. Mm. And uh, this is the, the other problem we have. And his doctors do not always encourage him to uh, taking medication, don't stop yes. it, or if you want to stop, just gradually stop it. But he's not listening. Hmm. This is, yeah, this is the other problem. Well, we yeah, have. it's very important but, for him to, to be on the medication. Does he accept that he has Asperger's? Does he know he has it? Does he understand it? Yes, yes, he, he knows. He knows about it. But okay. uh, I do not, I ask him to do some research or read a book about uh, Asperger's. He, he did, but he always, do not, he comes this negative way and he said, yeah, see, I'm bad. I, I can't do anything. This mm. is me. And instead, of, instead of finding solution, he accepted well, I mean, it, it is a difficult diagnosis to have. It's not, you know, we have to realize the world is a little bit more challenging for him than for most people. Yes. You know, a lot of things that for you might be very easy to see someone is upset or someone is feeling something or I, I've worked with kids where 
they don't realize that the kids around them are getting very bored about what they're talking about and they keep talking about the same thing and then the kids don't want to spend time with them and it's very hard to see that but the he doesn't it's hard for him to live in the world more than it is for for you so i get that you don't want him to be so negative about it and we don't want to make it more negative but we can understand that what he's going through is very difficult and it's not just hey find a solution it's so easy it's going to be challenging for him no matter what he's dealing with a very challenging disorder that makes interactions a lot harder for him and even you said something physically does he have some issues with fine motor issues or with his hands Yes, a little bit. Uh, he's getting better, yeah, but uh, as I told you, when he was working, in a, like it was in a restaurant, uh, he wasn't good in doing something, and that's why they fired him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he's okay. He's not really bad, but he's not, like, fast, like uh, in fast places, like um, a restaurant, he can work. Okay. Uh, but he used to go to gym. Uh, he was really good in gym, and he had stopped going to the gym. That's why now he's not, he's not doing anything. Well, I mean, that that's the, you know, depression has that, unfortunately it does that. It can be a downward spiral that he's not working out as much, which can help his mood. He's not spending time with friends as much, and all of that's just making him feel more depressed. So it seems like he's very, very depressed, and I, I can understand you're concerned about him. But I want I hear the way you talk about him in a way that you blame him for what he's going through, like you want him to just to easily find a solution, read a book, and then somehow he's going to be okay. And it's not that simple. It's going to be hard, and he's really struggling right now. So we want to try to encourage him, not make him feel worse about what he's going through, but get him to see that we, we know how hard it is, that these things are hard for him. It was very hard for him when he got fired, probably, or... We don't know when he says, I'm creepy or something happens. Maybe he has some stories for you that you haven't heard about things that have happened that he didn't feel good about. Has he told you stories about sometimes with his friends or interacting with people in a social way where he felt awkward or he did something and people got upset? No, he didn't say anything. But I asked the school about um, maybe in school they, they bullied him or something like that. But they said no, n- never happened something like that. It I think this is his feeling. The way the way pe- people looking at him, he thinks, uh, yeah, I'm not good mm. enough to because they do not. He's not interacting with people. He's not laughing. He's not talking. That's why people they don't want to spend time with kind of. Uh, as this kind of children, I, I understand the other people, but uh, my question is um, uh, because I'm I'm ready to come to LA to find uh, somebody, or maybe the diagnosis is wrong. I don't know. Maybe the medication is wrong. Uh, is there anybody there to help us? Well, I don't. I mean, I I'm sure there are people in Los Angeles that can help you, but I'm sure there's people where you are, you said in uh, Toronto area that can help you too. Um, you can, not in Toronto, but you can, you can go see someone else, but you know what he needs is he, he needs, it's good that he's seeing a psychiatrist, but he needs therapy. And also for Asperger's, a lot of times they'll do things like social skills, classes or trainings. Has he ever done something like that? Then, yeah, when he was young, like around the 12, uh, yeah, we sent him to classes, 
But the problem is he 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 never listened to a cue they gave they gave you know they gave him. But now he because at that time he, he was under my control. You know I I could bring him to a different kind of classes, different kind of doctors. But now because he's 17, he's not listening and he's not going to anywhere. Okay. He well, likes to stay home. Just yeah. Home? But control is not going to work anyway long term. I understand what you're saying. It was easier to get him to go to classes, but we we have to try to connect with him and get him to see that he isn't happy and that these types of things might be able to help him and that it is difficult that he has Asperger's. And I, I mean, we want to make sure we, we show him we understand that, and, but we want to make sure he does everything he can to help himself because there are things that can be helpful, like going, getting treatment. And yes, if you look online for any medication and just look at the side effects, you're going to tell yourself, I should never take it. But they can be really helpful for him. And especially my concern is that it sounds like he's very depressed and people who have um, uh, Asperger's are more prone to get depressed and deal with things like that as well. And it seems like he's experiencing a very serious depression that's making it harder for him to get help, unfortunately. So we want to help him to see that he needs to get more help, he deserves to get more help, and that it actually can help him. Even going to the social skills classes, going to therapy, all those things can be helpful. But I want you to keep in mind that what he's dealing with is very challenging, and it's not something that's just going to go away, or if he tried harder, everything would become easy for him. Things are just going to be a little bit more challenging for him. He probably has a harder time dealing with things not going his way. That's also a common characteristic for people on the autism spectrum in general, but it makes it hard to face challenges because he's going to get frustrated more easily than other people. So he seems like he's choosing just to isolate himself because it's safer to just stay home alone or stay in his room. But of course, we want to try to encourage him in a loving way that he can do more. We want to help him. But I don't think if you come to LA or go to some other city, it's going to be something that's just going to quote unquote cure him. He's, he's dealing with something, and you can definitely get a second opinion. That's not a bad idea. Um, but I think to, to think someone has some magical cure, probably not. Yes, yes. <sighs> yeah, you, you think just uh, maybe when he's getting older, he, he understands better. Maybe age is uh, because his doctor told me you have to wait. He's getting older, maybe he understands better. It's possible. Uh, I mean, it's possible I he hope. does. This is my hope. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's also, you know, as he's getting older, life has different challenges and expectations. As a kid, it, it maybe it, it wasn't affecting him as, as much, but as a teenager, when everyone is even more making friends and trying to spend time with each other, and that's especially where someone with Asperger's has a trouble is with connecting with people, he might be feeling that more. Or the responsibilities of trying to have a job or do other things, he's feeling a little bit overwhelmed and feeling like he can't handle it. So he's having a hard time, I think, transitioning also into adolescence and adulthood, which we can understand. So what I'm asking from you is that you want to, of course, support him he definitely needs to get more treatment. We don't want him not to get any treatment. But I want you to remember, because the way I heard you talk about it at the beginning of our call was that it's something that could maybe go away or it should just get better. But it's going to be a challenge for his whole life. And of course, anytime you're with him, it's going to be a challenge too, that we have to recognize he's dealing with something that is in some way out of his control, that he has the disorder. We want to help him do everything he can to make life 
as easy or as less hard as he can. And so I hope he will get on some medication. I hope he will go to therapy. I hope he will go to get some classes. But the only way to get him to do that is to help him see that we recognize how much he's hurting. And because of that, we want him to get help because we can't help him. You can't help him yourself. You can be there as a mother and love him. But the other things, he, he has to go get help from other people. And hopefully he will do that. But I can see that you're concerned. It seems like it's not just the Asperger's we're dealing with, but a very serious depression. Depression, yes, yeah. Do, do the psychiatrists yeah. see that? Do they say he's depressed? Uh, yes, yeah, okay. uh, yeah. This doctor, do not, um, uh, um, we see her around 10 years from when uh, he was seven years old and, and diagnosed. Still, we see the same doctor. And um, he, she, like, gave uh, the Prozac. Uh, but um, I don't know, we leave, my question is, uh, we leave him uh, leave like that? Like, uh, stay at home all the time, just be nice, and that's it? Well, we can't force him to do anything. So, I mean, yeah. it's not like you could, but you can encourage him or see what he might enjoy. Usually people with Asperger's, a lot of times they'll have, very specific interests that they like? Does he have things that he really likes? No, no. Nothing. No, I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. No, it's just computer. Just okay, well, that's something. Like movies and, yeah. Okay. I'm watching movies all the time, yeah, but not... I understand because I saw in some children with Asperger, they like, like geography, they like space or something. No, it's not like that. Okay. But still, you know, there even if it's movies or something, you can enjoy that with him or, or try to get him involved somehow with whatever you can, because it seems, I'm sure he's interested in something, but it, it is challenging what you're going through, and because he's getting older, if he doesn't help himself, there's only so much you can do. But we want to try to help him get back to those treatments that he's done before, and to see that he's struggling and it's not his fault that he's so sad, I would make sure you make him aware of that too. Unfortunately, it seems like he has a very negative view of himself, and he judges himself and says, I'm creepy, or you even said he said, I'm ugly, or I'm this, or I'm that. And, you know, he's going through a lot of challenges. So we want to show him love and support, but recognize that he's in a lot of pain and make sure we don't blame him for that. And hopefully, hopefully he'll get back into the treatment, encourage him. If you can, you can't control him or force him, but talk to him that you think it can be helpful. And because you care about him, you feel he deserves that help. Okay. Okay. Thank you very sure. much. Sure. Good luck. Thank thanks. For thanks for calling. Thank Take you. care. Bye-bye. All right. Going into our commercial break. We're listening to In Session with Dr. Fahir We will be right back. Welcome back. Studio number 310-441-0555. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hi. Uh, is that Dr. Fahir Yes. Hi. Thanks for calling. Thank you for listening to me. <laughs> my pleasure. Uh, I did call about talking about my daughter, She's 13 years old. Okay. I, I know it's like short time. I cannot tell all the history, but of I want to get some advice from you because uh, about two weeks ago, you helped me a lot about my daughter. She's 18 years old, and I, I'm so happy the advice you gave me. It was really helpful. Okay. And you might have to remind me about the situation, but I'm glad it was helpful, and then um, we can talk about your 13. We don't have to even talk about the 18-year-old today. We can just talk about your 13-year-old daughter. Yeah, it's this is situation is happening to my 13 years old. I have two kids. When is 18, is which is not living with us. She's in university, so far from us. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, 13 years old, she was really attached to her sister uh, since when she lived us. And then she's kind of like alone at home with me and my husband. We don't have anybody in the town. And uh, we are like just us in the family. Like nobody's, she doesn't have any like grandma, grandpa or anybody mm. around. It's her school. And in the this town we live is a small town, is which is they just have a one junior high which she goes, and uh, she's the only not white person in that school. Everybody in the town are, mm. are, are white. This is the like short story about their her life, and as this happened like about two weeks ago. She's a really sensitive person. She is really like holdable, really, and like she makes a like a lot of. Every time she said, I love you, and then it's around the people, she make a love. And then and about two weeks ago, I see her act is different. I saw her when she come back from school, she rolled her eyes, and then she, like, feels tired. She show, she wouldn't show she's tired. And and I asked her what happened. She said, I don't like my life. I, I hate this school. I, I the, Always is happening in school. Whenever I ask her what happened in school, she doesn't want to talk about it. Hmm. So, like, it's, and she cry a lot about it. Afterwards, she come back from school, she cry a lot. And then, uh, yes, about, like, three, three, four days ago, I just tell her, you know what? I cannot hold this situation anymore because you have to talk about your problem. Because if you don't, not talking about it, it's going to be a big problem then. You get depression, and then we have to solve it differently. If you don't want to talk to me, it's okay. I understand. You can talk to somebody else, but just talk about your problem. What is the problem happening? Now, let me I, I let me stop you there for a second. I get that you're very concerned, and you want to be able to help, and if she doesn't talk to you, there's not as much you can do. Um, but telling someone you have to tell me is usually not the best approach. Um, I would recommend making them feel comfortable, letting them know you understand it might be hard to talk about it, but anytime they do feel ready to talk about it, you are there to listen to them. But I, I think t- giving a kind of like a ultimatum or it's going to get so worse or scare her that it's going to become a bigger problem isn't always the best approach. I understand you probably felt desperate that she was crying and not telling you why and you were worried maybe something really big was going on. But I just wanted to make that comment that as much as we want our kids to open up, especially as teenagers, we know it's hard for them sometimes to open up to us. We don't want to force them to do that. But nonetheless, you felt desperate and you said that to her. And then what happened? Yeah, and I said, yeah, I understand. If you don't want to talk to me, I understand. It's okay for me. I want to help you. Just go, I think like, call to some counselor or I can hire you we can go to the some office you can talk to somebody if you want to talk to your sister or anybody you want to talk just tell them what happened what is is happening in your life is you ruined your life and you cry every day when you come back from school and you're not happy and she said you know mommy happiness is not the same as me I'm happy like for five minutes and after that is everything mm. is gone and like after a while, like, it's happening, I, her sister talked to her. And then finally, last night, she comes, and then I would tell her, I'm so proud of you. Finally, you find a way to talk to your sister. And she said, is that a really, like, big thing? I said, yeah, it's a big 
big jump. You you did it. You you blew it out. You talked about it. And it's good. And I'm so happy. You don't need to talk to me about it. But she said, yeah, I want it, but I'm scared maybe you yell at me. Mm. But <laughs> I said, okay, if, if you don't want to talk to me, you think it's a big problem, we have to solve it. But and hold on, I, let's 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 hear what she said there. I'm afraid. And then she said yes. She I'm afraid said, to tell you because you're going to yell at me. Yeah, and then she said, "You know what happened? Somebody at the school they uh, they offered me to pot, like the pot. I don't know what marijuana. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then I said, "What you said?" And she said, "I said, okay, that's cool. I don't want it." And she is not kind of bad person at all. And I'm scared, maybe because she bullied. She, and I said, why are you not saying, I don't like it? Why you said, it's okay. Okay, hold on. <laughs> so I can see how maybe she was scared to tell you something. Because you, you even in talking to you, you come on very strong. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when she comes and tells you something happened, you want to approach it in a more relaxed way. Because even right oh. now, she said, I didn't take the marijuana and you still are getting mad at her that she should have been even more upset about it or showed she hates marijuana or it's such a bad thing. You know, she was in a uncomfortable situation and she didn't want to tell her friend you're bad or you're doing something bad. And she just said, okay, that's cool, but I don't want it. But even still, that wasn't enough for you. And, and, no, and I don't, you know, it's not, not, it's not bad things because I want to, she, she stand up for herself. Because she keeps everything inside. And then she's like, she worried about every people. This is the big situation for her. This is the big problem for her. When something happened to her friends, she comes home and cries for her. You know, like, she keeps everything inside herself. Yes. But but I want you to recognize that when when she opens up to you, and she still feels like she gets judged for what she did, it makes it less likely she tells you. So when you tell me she holds everything inside, I want you to recognize how you contribute to that, not just it's something about her. All right, yeah, I understand. But yeah, she said, I know better than anyone. Nobody can like tell me what to do because Great. nobody knows me. Mm-hmm. She's right. Yeah. yeah, and then I said, what, the other thing, what is the other thing happening? And she said, yeah, the guy comes to me. I'm so sorry to tell you, but she she was really good to talk to me about it. And she said, yeah, the guys come to me and talk about a lot of things about the sex. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, sex is not, not that horrible, mommy. It's part of the life. It's like, but it's not in your age, but it's a part yeah. of the life. But it's even, like can life. I, let me stop you there for a second. It's, there's a way you are talking where everything is very uh, it's hard to even say there's like a judgmentalness to every she says they asked about sex and you're like it's not a big deal it's not, let her tell you what she experienced maybe it made her uncomfortable because on one hand you're saying it's this very okay normal thing but never do it you know it's, it's very confusing first of all and second of all anything she's telling you you're controlling too much you want to control what she thinks and feels and says and acts and the exact words she says when they say this you have to say this here's your script that's not going to elicit more of her opening up she says 13 i'm 13 and boys come to me and they talk about sex yeah that makes sense it makes her uncomfortable we don't have to tell her you should love it you should like it i don't know even what she's supposed to you want her to feel but 
because I feel like you don't want her to be sad. So if she says, the reason why I'm down is this, you're saying this is not a reason to be down. But let her explain what's going on. There could be even more going on. But if you quickly jump in and tell her not to share the rest of it by telling her you're judging what you already did, you might miss the more important parts. So again, I know, yeah, I am like this. I'm so worried because she's a she, she's a really good girl, and she didn't do anything. Because I don't want to say it because I'm a mom. Everybody, like in our town, everybody, like when they see me, they say, "Your daughter is the best. Your daughter is good." But I don't want to like that. Is my maybe that is make me more worried. So I'm not like. I don't want if she get bullied and then do something because she's in the corner and then do something because she want to make their friends happy. Right, you but know? but the way you're talking to her almost has a bullying feel to it. All right, yeah, okay. How, and how I can help her? You, you have to let her talk more. So when she talks, just be quiet for a little bit. Let her tell you. The guy said this, oh, okay, what else? Don't, you don't, don't give your opinion yet. She doesn't need your opinion because, again, she's going to have thousands of interactions where you're not there anyway that she has to make a decision. So even if in that moment you say, oh, and the guy says this, say this, it doesn't matter because next time she's in a new situation, she has to figure out what to do. So we're trying to build her up, not uh, coach her or teach her exactly what to say in every moment because we can't. So when she says the boys come to me and they start talking about sexual things... First of all, I think you can get that that would make her feel uncomfortable. It makes sense. And we want to know more about, okay, so how did she feel? Let her tell you about her experience. And even if she tells you, mom, it made me so sad I cried for a week straight because some boy said this. Before you jump to, you shouldn't get sad because he said this because sex is natural or it's this or it's that. You want to understand what about what he said hurts you so much. I want to understand it. So your job is less about coaching and telling her, what to do and more about understanding and showing her you want to understand her experience and she's not wrong to think or feel whatever she was thinking or feeling. We want to understand it better. It's not oh. about telling her do this or don't do this. Okay. That's perfect. Yeah. I should work on it. Like I have to work on it. I'm a person. Yeah. I let her do this, do that. Yeah, I know. I'm a kind of that person. But my question is for now is, is that like the way I have to like push her to go to some cancellation or talk to somebody or is better to let her to talk to me, how I can help her to make her feel better or move from this situation? Well, that's one thing is, of course, we care about her. We want her to feel better, but I wouldn't put so much pressure on you or on her to feel better so fast because... Mm -hmm. That pressure is going to force, even the way you reacted when I heard you say the story of she talked to your, her sister. And I get that that's good and we want to be encouraging, but almost the way you talked about it was too strong. That was so great. That was the best thing that you went and talked to her. It's good, but we don't want to put so much emphasis on things, put so much pressure on things. Because okay. I, in, in talking to you, I feel this pressure, it kind of creates an anxiety and she seems like she's a sensitive girl. So if she's sensitive, when you react so strongly, that's almost going to freak her out. So she's less comfortable telling you things. So again, she comes and tells you, someone offered me marijuana. 
Okay, that's a pretty big deal. Let's talk what happened. But if she says, yeah, mom, I said, oh, that's cool, but I don't want it. And then you quickly go into, why did you say it's cool? You should tell them I hate marijuana. You know, that response, it's very hard for her to feel like I can come. What if she actually took some of the marijuana one time and tried it one time? Do you think she can come tell you? Probably not. If that was your response to her even saying it's cool, she probably won't be able to tell you if she did something or did something worse or thinks you won't like it. Because even when she does something pretty good, you still judge that it wasn't perfect, that it should have been even more clear her stance on marijuana when someone offered it to her. I mean, think about being a kid and someone comes up to you. You're not going to be like, no, marijuana is not cool. Get away from me. I never want to talk to you again. I mean, that's not what we should expect a kid to say when they're with their peers. I think she handled it really well. She kind of said, oh, yeah, that's cool. You know, do what you want to do. I don't want it. Great. I would be very proud of my son, daughter, if they responded in that way. They're not mm-hmm. judging their friend. They're letting them do whatever they want. And they're they're being, but they're not making a choice they're not okay with. That's great. But I really want you to be aware of that you have to take a little bit of the pressure off of you and of her. She's okay. down right now. Okay. It's mm-hmm. not, I get it that you, I don't want us to ignore it or neglect that, what she's going through. But we don't have to fix her right now. Okay, you have to go to therapy to fix you from being sad because sad is not okay. Sad mm-hmm. is okay. It doesn't feel good. We don't want to make her sad or we don't want to ignore that she's sad. But we also don't want to put a pressure on her that she has to be happy tomorrow. If you told me tomorrow she was super happy and everything's okay, I would be concerned because it means probably she's hiding something. If she went from being so down to being so happy, something's going on. But if you make the only goal her being happy, her being cheerful, then you're going to put pressure on her to do things or to be something, or to hide things from you, and that's definitely not what we want. All right, yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, and I one thing I did, I just say, you're not allowed to watch YouTube anymore because she's watching all the YouTube okay. about, like, making slime or anything like that, and she's on Netflix, too. Yeah, well, these kind of... You know, we're at a commercial break, and let's talk yeah. about this, because you're saying, you're, you know, we're going... I was mentioning before that I think the controlling is going to be the problem. And I think going into more controlling is not going to help. So let's talk after the break about what some of the restrictions you're trying to put and why you want to put them. And we'll talk a bit more. All right. All right. Okay. All right. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fajr We will be right back. Welcome back. Before the break, we're with the caller. Let's go back to her now. Caller. Hello. Okay. So before the break, we were talking about your 13-year-old daughter. You're a little concerned about her that... She's been giving you a little bit more attitude for she talked about her rolling her eyes, but then also yeah. crying a lot, being down. But then right before the break, you were saying you said she can't watch YouTube anymore. Yeah, I guess because her sister tell me, you know, mommy, that the YouTube she's watching, she's like, uh, kind of, she really loves a slime and yeah. they do something like that. And she said, mommy, the YouTube uh, commercial is not good. I think it's good to... Yeah, my daughter, my older one, she said, it's better to not let her to watch the YouTube anymore. The commercials that play before the video? Yeah, yeah. Like, all the YouTube videos coming, and she said, it's not good for her. I said, okay, I'm not telling you told me, but I want to, like, let her, okay, no watch YouTube anymore. Uh, What did you, you told her, why did you tell her that she can't watch anymore? Yeah, I said, because I don't like it, there's a lot of things in YouTube make uh, people thinking differently. I don't like it. I said that. 
Okay. I'm not sure what that means. But what I would tell her, you know, you could talk to her. And I think parents do have to be aware of their kids on the Internet. I don't like for parents to control their kids, but we do have to be aware that on online they can be exposed to things that aren't good for them. Even kids can sometimes, for example, come across pornography, even if you try to put some parental controls, then that's not something we want to happen. So I think I'm okay with parents in some level monitoring or letting their kids know I want to be aware of which websites you're on or what you're watching because there can be things online that are not good for you to see. But putting this kind of restriction of you just can't watch YouTube, okay. I don't I don't I don't know if it has a, I'm I'm still not sure what the um reasoning is. Is that she's gonna see some videos that are bad for her? Yeah, I I she, I never seen her to watch kind of like that video. But I just wanna like like some, I don't know. I, I don't know why I did that. I said no more YouTube because I don't want you watch something porno or like something. And she said, "Mommy, I'm not that girl. I'm not watching yeah. like that." And I said, "I know, but if if it comes, you have to like get rid of it. I don't want you go to the YouTube anymore." And then I think one, I I would say you know you could let her know because there's things that aren't good on there that aren't good for you to see. I want to know the videos you're watching and i think there's ways you can set that up where you can go back and look at what videos were watched and just let her know not in a way of because she did something bad or because she's in trouble but just you're trying to because you realize as a parent you have to protect her and there's things online that aren't good for her to see but just forbidding her from that first of all if she wants to watch it she will watch it um and then you're just going to create more of a like a power battle with her and Okay, what? Sometimes I'm going to her room and I said, "What are you watching?" And she said, "Are you, you not believing me? I'm not the person to watch the things bad." I said, "No, I'm concerned. What is that? I want to sit with you. I want to see what you're watching. It's cool." And then I. But let me ask you something. Is that really the reason? Because you think it's cool, or you really are afraid of what she's watching? I'm I'm just afraid. Okay, so so you don't want to lie to her. I mean, in a way, you're making like, yeah, I'm just cool, and I want to know, and I want to hang out with you, but really, you're stressed out about what she's watching. And so you can let her know, it's not that I don't believe you, it's just that there are things online that I have to make sure as a parent you don't get exposed to. But I'm, it's not about trusting you, and I believe you, and it seems like she doesn't watch anything that's so inappropriate from what you're saying. And again, you can't stop her. I mean, I know, like I said, you could try to monitor and be aware of it, but at the end of the day, she can be with her friends or do other things, and they can watch things that you really won't have control, and it's more about teaching her why you think she shouldn't see these things or why it's right. good to wait than to try to control her that you can't right. watch YouTube anymore. Um, or I don't know, whatever else she can't watch. You said Netflix or something? Yeah, I just said no no more Netflix, no more YouTube. But And then I why no to Netflix? Same thing? Because uh, her sister says, because in Netflix they have a different, like, uh, thing, parents, kids, and then her sisters. Yeah. And then her sister says, she just jumped in her account and then watched one of the video, not all of them, just one episode of one of the videos she watched it as a gossip girl. Mm-hmm. And, and that's yeah, not even so bad. I mean, yeah, maybe you don't want her to see it, but I know teenagers will watch shows like that. So it's not the end of the world if she watches Gossip Girl. Um, all right. Yeah. It's like, I don't know what to do. It's, I know it's always my problem because I'm so concerned, but I just want to know. How I can deal is 
I know it's all me. If I be a better person, if I like be a calm person, well, she's going to be a more calm. Yes, but, but here's I, the thing. Now, now you're doing the same thing to yourself. You don't have to be so hard on yourself either. Okay. Because you know that's I think you're you go straight to this controlling judgmental kind of place whether it's with yourself or with your daughter or whoever you're dealing with and that's more what I could, would hope you can change. I know it's going to be hard because it's the way you think about things, but to me that's even more important than the specific technique or strategy you use with her or even with yourself. That yes, if you are a little bit more calm about things, if you recognize as hard as it is that I can't control all the decisions or really any of the decisions, but I can't control everything that happens to my daughter. The older they get, the less I have almost any control. With your 18-year-old, you probably have very little control about what's going on in her life. And it's tough for parents to accept this, but that you're going to have to accept that and to let go more and more and to let your daughter... And here's another thing that a lot of parents will do. They say, I want my kid to stand up to her teachers or to other people. And then you ask them, do you think they can stand up to you? And they say, no. So you tell me you want her to stand up to bullies or not to get bullied, but the way you interact with her doesn't build her up. If anything, it kind of pushes her down and doesn't make mm-hmm. her feel as strong. So what we want to actually show her is when she interacts with you, she's entitled to her opinion and to be strong. And you're not going to make her feel judged or put her down or feel attacked. And as much as possible, you're still the mom. So I'm not saying completely treat her as an equal, but you treat her more and more like an equal as she gets older to respect her and respect her thinking and her ideas and herself as a person. So that's what I think is important in how you interact with her is that you build her up rather than think, okay, if I just teach her everything to say in every single situation, then she's going to handle every situation okay. That doesn't work. But if I show her more and more that she's strong, I believe in her, I trust her, I trust her to make the right decisions, then she'll rely on herself more. Because right now, what happened with that marijuana situation, I think she probably felt like I handled this pretty well. But then I told mom and she made me feel like I handled it really bad. And so now she doesn't even trust herself of what to do. So we want to build your trust with her and her trust with herself more and more rather than... Yeah, which is... Yeah, yeah, sorry to... No, it's okay. Yeah, which is she said, yeah, always you, you feel me like I'm wrong. Always yeah. you make me feel I'm wrong. I said, I'm not doing that, but sorry, but I, I, I maybe yes. Well, you tell her, yeah, right. let her know maybe that. she's right. You might be right. Yeah. You're, you're, and I'm not trying to. And you could tell her, you know, it's, I just, I care about you so much, but maybe I sometimes make you feel that way because I get worried about what's going to happen. But I, I trust you that you are smart and you know um, what to do in the situations and you're going to handle them. And look, she's obviously not always going to handle every situation right that's part of life none of us does especially when we're getting older but we have to give her that space even to fail now i know you're scared of what might happen if she makes a mistake but we can only do so much we can't keep her from making any of the mistakes we don't want her to make and that's part of life is making some mistakes right so i would just try to give her more more and more space and even if she's down i get that you don't like it but you know, a lot of parents approach it this way. Okay, you're depressed. We have to fix that now. Rather than really trying to understand what's going on with them, what are they going through, what's making them down, it's okay for them to be down. Again, we love them. We don't want them to be sad. But if they are, that's also okay. That's part of life. Sometimes we're sad. Sometimes we're down. And we want to try to understand it more than we want to just erase what she's feeling. Okay. Yeah, that's sure. Yeah, but one thing is how I can, because you said it's not good if I like say no Netflix, like no YouTube, how I can return it back to her? How 
I mean, I, don't want I would, you know, if I, I would maybe, you know, as with everything, it's about having a conversation. So, um, you know, it's not just say you have it back, like, that's it. Say you can have a talk to, you know, I thought about it and maybe that was too extreme of a rule. I got a little worried about some of the things that you might be able to watch on these things. And as a parent, I'm supposed to protect you from what's there on the Internet because there are some things that aren't good for kids or even teenagers to see. It's just for adults. And so I got a little worried and maybe that was too strong. You could even acknowledge you made a mistake or that you not even if you want to call it a mistake, you thought about it and now you're changing your mind. And that's okay. that I thought about this. But I and you can even say, but I do want to be aware of the things you watch. So, you know, it's not that I don't trust you, but that I just know there's things out there. And as a parent, I want to know what you get to see or what you're watching. So I might check in on it or I might be able to see it because I don't want you to monitor it without telling her, which is what some parents do. You can just let her know. I just I will check sometimes and even talk to her. Is that okay? What do you think? And make it again more a conversation than just you telling her this is what's going to happen. And it's okay. And again, I think even to me, this is could be a good lesson of showing her, you know, sometimes we change our mind or we even make a mistake or we think about something and we come to a different conclusion. And that's something that you're doing right now. So I think it's actually good for parents to show their kids. Uh, we don't always know we're not perfect. And it's okay to make mistakes. Yeah, okay. That's perfect. Thank you so much. Well, it's funny you said that's perfect. I don't know if it was perfect. We'll see how it goes. Nothing's really perfect, and it's okay for it not to be. But uh, I hope you... You make me oh. feel really bad. I was in too much of stress last night. Yeah, I was in really bad. I had a really bad day mm. because I make it for myself really big. Yes. Big deal. And when I talk to my friend here and they say, oh, this is a big deal. You have to deal with that. I mean, it just, it was a suck in my oh. heart. Well, it, it is a big deal in the sense that it's your daughter. You care a lot about her and you do want to deal with it. But it's not a big deal in the sense that, you know, teenagers... And everyone, they go through different feelings and moods, and sometimes they'll be depressed or down, and that's part of life too. So I don't want you to make that such a big deal if she's down. Um, so that part of it to me is not, you know, when you say my 13-year-old seems to be having some depression, I definitely care, and I'd want you to be concerned, but it's not some huge crisis that if we don't fix it immediately, something bad is happening. And so we have to also be able to tolerate our children's negative feelings and negative moods. They're going to go through these types of things, and we care and we are sensitive to it but we don't want to make it such a big deal to put this pressure that on us and on them that that has to immediately change so we want to be patient with her and what i would say is more and more have conversations with her so when she starts telling you something i know a lot of feelings and things come up for you if you want to tell her to do this or you wish you did it a little bit more this way or tell her this and that and all those things but try to take a step back and listen more and tell her tell me more i told her we can do once a week. Do I can be your ear and can just listen. You can just talk to me if you want. And she said that would be awesome. That would be awesome. But I want it to be not just once a week, but that's how you guys communicate. Because oh, my yeah. guess is you'll be the ear and you're, you'll hold on to the five things you want to tell her. And then next time you get no, one, you're not that time. The, being the ear, you'll tell her what's on your mind. So it's more a way of communicating rather than, yeah, it's good to say, hey, we can have a little moment where you can just tell me stuff on your mind. That's great. But overall, I want you to think of the way you communicate with her of being more of conversations rather than you telling her what to do and not to do, what to think and not to think and how to feel. Yeah. It's about okay. having conversations and dialogues rather than 
the lectures. That's what I really want you to focus on, and a lot of parents can have a hard time with that. So that's something to keep in mind. I don't know how to not lecture to my kids. It's really hard. Well, part of it is realizing that it's not up to you to make the decisions for her because you feel such a pressure that, oh, I have to tell her exactly what to say, and that isn't your role. You can be there for her and a confidant, and she can ask for your advice even, but we want to try not to give advice before it's asked for and to make sure, because you're telling me I want her to tell me more, and I'm saying the only way you can get her to tell you more is to listen more, is to not say as much. Mm -hmm. That's perfect. Thank you so much. Nice talking to you. Good luck. Yeah, thank you. Sure. Take care. Have a great day. Thanks, you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, going to our next commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. I'm good. How are you? (laughs) Good, thank you. Thanks for calling. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Uh, The problem that today I called is because um, I started a relationship that, according to your father, I wasn't supposed to start. Um... I got separated a year ago, and then I got to meet someone at work. So we started this relationship. I was going through divorce, and he was going through divorce. So, you know, in my mind, was like, okay, I'm, it's not really complicated. The problem started from the time that he realized that he is not ready to move to another relationship. Yeah. So he wanted to uh, have some time alone and... Right, and that's actually what surprises me that you said we're both going through a divorce, so it's not complicated. That that can be very complicated because you do need time to move on. But okay, so after how long did he Um, tell you that? Um, after I can say three, four months of having um, a serious relationship. Mm He wanted to, you know, he said we need to cut off on the time that we are spending together. Maybe you know. Let's say that weekends are going to be for ourselves, not spending it together. So, you know, I get it. He, he had the point of asking for that. It, was just, it seems that emotionally I'm not ready to take that. So I started showing reactions to smallest stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I started going uh, seeing the psychologist, and she was saying that um, I, I did have a difficult childhood. So it, that was another thing that I never worked on it. And she started this um, treatment that they call it EMDR. That is kind of go through tapping and hand movement to go through your past Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. de-traumatize you. And by starting that, it's giving me a lot of anxiety attack. So instead of getting better, I'm getting worse every day. How long ago did you start the therapy? Um, I think four months. Okay. I started it in November. And um, now, the is I'm there a lot of tra- is there a lot of trauma in your childhood? I know you said it was difficult. Was it? Um, well, basically, it was my parents' divorce, my mom's sickness, and then uh, my marriage was really something that wasn't supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. Because once I got married, then it turns out that he wasn't the same person that she told us. Mm. But everything a lot. And I have one of those personalities that I say, I will fix it. I'm a fixer. Mm. I don't let. I'm controlling. 
So I don't let people to make decisions. I just want to go, 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 go. So for past six years, I just kept on going in that marriage that I can fix it. It's going to get better. It's going to get better. Then I, then I found myself in the border of, you know, life is so useless. So maybe I should just end it. Mm-hmm. I had suicidal thoughts. So I was like, okay, this is the time for me to move on. So that's okay. the trauma that I was going through. Yeah, and the thing with trauma, it's actually the book this week that I'm reading and I'll talk about next week is about trauma. The body keeps the score. And in working with trauma, a therapist has to be very careful and in a way delicate because it can sometimes be too much for the person to bring up lots of the traumatic memories or experiences that they had. And we sometimes have to be more patient and make sure we listen to the client to see what they're okay with or how much they're okay to handle. And it's always finding that balance of, of course, the therapist is going to, in some ways, encourage you and push you or challenge you to move into the discomfort, but not in a way that overwhelms you. And so maybe it was too much for you to to bring up all of the traumatic memories or whatever was coming up in the therapy, because you're saying it made you feel... Now, you might feel worse in therapy, but it seems like for you, you were having... Did you have panic attacks? Okay. And did you share that with the therapist? Um, I actually ended up calling her when, when I had it at work. Mm-hmm. It couldn't work, so I needed to talk to someone. Yeah. So I ended up calling her. So then she was talking to me for half an hour to just breathe, focus on your breathing. The part that gets to me is everyone putting this critical point on the relationship that I'm going through right now which is the trigger to every other problem. Mm. And then everyone keeps on telling me that, oh, maybe he's lying to you. Maybe he's not going to live his previous marriage. So in my mind, I'm already not ready to trust people. And by hearing this from friends around me, it just makes me feel that, yep, I shouldn't trust anyone. Well, that tells us more, I'm glad you're going to therapy, that you do need to work on what's happened to you in your past. And even as much as, you know, he told you he wasn't ready, maybe you were not as ready as you thought to be in a relationship. And so a lot of times people, they go into the next relationship, especially you're saying you were in this relationship that was very bad for five, six years, the marriage. You maybe felt like I deserve to be in a good relationship and you do, but you deserve to be in a good relationship when it's the right time so you can create a good relationship. And it doesn't seem like you were ready yet for that, which is understandable. So I think as much as it might have hurt that he asked for more time uh, or he needs space, I hope you'll take that as time for you also to take that space to work on yourself because there's a lot of pain you're, you need to heal. Yes. That was the thing that he said, that he said, I think you were more broken than what you think. Mm. I, I think there's a lot of truth there. Right now, I, I, it seems like you're uh, tearing up and crying. What what do you, what are you feeling right now? Mm. I have anxiety. Mm. I feel most of the time I'm extremely sad. Mm. I don't get a deep sleep at all. I mean, I wake up throughout the night maybe four or five times. Mm. Yeah. It's, it sounds like you're really suffering a lot. 
And I'm, I'm again, like I said, I'm glad you're going to the therapist. You might want to consider seeing a psychiatrist also. Um, they offered me taking medication, but I didn't want to. Okay, why I mean, not? I tried it. I tried it mm-hmm. for the first two days. Uh, they said start taking it at noon to see if it's going to make any difference in your sleeping. What medication but was it? I don't remember the name. Okay. The reason why I ask um, is because uh, if it's an antidepressant, they usually take some time before you see an effect. So if you took it at, during the day and expected to see an effect at night, sometimes you might see something, but the real major effects usually take even a few weeks before they kick in. The reason that I stopped taking it, it was my brain was working 24-7. So even that two, three hours of night of sleep that I was getting, it just stopped. You mean when you took the medication, it stopped? Yes. Okay. Yes. Now, I don't know what you were on, and it seems like you don't remember what you took. And but people. Depressant, yes. Okay. But I would hope you, because of how severe the things you're dealing with, especially the sleep, when you have that kind of a sleep disturbance, it's very hard to function. And obviously, it's going to affect your mood even more, and you get into a very bad cycle. That's why I would seriously consider trying a different medication if that one was not the one for you. Even in the way you say, I try to fix things, it almost sounds like you want to fix things without medication for yourself. And you might want to consider that. I'm not going to say you need it, but it could be that right now, with how much you are really suffering, it might be what you need to help you to then even be able to help yourself some more. Sometimes I use the analogy that the medication is not going to fix your problem. It's kind of like you're in this very deep hole. It's not going to take you all the way out, but it might bring you up enough where you can climb the rest of the way out. But right now, you might be too far deep inside to, to be able to get yourself out. Well, I don't take it easy on myself. I, yes, I feel that. I make it to come to work every day. I, I'm one of those people who has the high performance at work. Uh-huh. And then I'm making myself to take classes. I'm making myself to go out as much as I don't want to. I force myself to do it, but sometimes I feel I should stop putting pressure on myself to feel better. Yeah, I don't want. I want you to feel better. It reminds me of the caller before with her daughter. Of we want, of course, the person to feel better because we care about them, but we don't want to put a pressure that you need to feel better now, because we can't force healing. We can't uh, just drag ourselves because we want to feel better. Just saying, I'm going to feel better starting tomorrow. Especially what you're dealing with, if you know, when you say you went to therapy and you started having panic attacks when you brought up all of your past pain, that tells us you're you're carrying a lot of pain with you. And I don't want you to fake happiness tomorrow just to feel it tomorrow. I would want you to try to heal what you've gone through to feel more lasting good feelings, something much more significant. And that's going to take some time. And I, I again, I can't give you a, a full recommendation just based on speaking with you for a few minutes, but I would hope you consider medication a little bit more seriously. And if that first one, or even if there's a few that didn't work, you try some more and you definitely try the therapy. Did you stop going to therapy or you've continued? I'm continuing it. Okay, good. Cause I'm glad I know you had the panic attacks could have, must've been terrifying and made you maybe even consider stop going, but I'm glad you've continued because um, there's a lot of work to be done. And I think as much as it might have been painful that this man told you um, he needed more space and we don't know exactly what was going on, uh, he needed to heal. It seems like you you needed that too. 
So it could be a blessing in disguise that you also are not ready. And when we're so hurt, sometimes a relationship like that can be like a drug, something that makes us feel good, but it really is not good for us long term. And it's not going to take away the underlying problem. So it probably hurt to lose that drug, but it's going to face you to face the pain, force you to face the pain. Yeah. Uh, because we both worked in the same building, mm-hmm. different companies. We still managed to have lunch breaks together, coffee breaks together. Well, that's something you might Maybe. want to think about. That might be hurting you. It's like getting a little bit of your drug, but not getting it. So, uh, you know, that's I, I would think about that. I'm not going to tell you you shouldn't see him anymore. But it is an option I'd want you to consider because it might just make it harder for you to see him um, and not have him than to not see him at all. So I know it's hard because you work in the same building, but making plans to see him regularly for lunch and spending time. And it seems like, you know, this limit he's put, I'm sure, doesn't feel good for you that we can see each other during the week, but not the weekends. And I'm I'm sure on top of that, it's a very different feeling now that you guys are not in a relationship or however it was. Those things are probably hurting you more than they're helping you. So I would really take that into consideration that... I usually think when we're not with someone, it's better to just cut the tie and move on than to keep them around a little bit because it's like a drug. We need to go through the withdrawals and lose that craving, but if we keep them around, we don't lose that and it stays stays in our system. Yes, that, that's correct. Have yeah. you considered that before of not seeing him? I, I considered not seeing him. Yeah. Um, but... The problem is even when I'm ignoring him, he starts moving toward me, and it seems that we are both kind of drugs for each other. Well, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what happens a lot in these kinds of situations. But, you know, you obviously have the choice of letting him back in. Because people say that it's very common, and I get it's easier said than done, but they'll say, you know, I try to move away from him or try to move away from her, but she comes to me. It's like, well, it's always up to you whether to let them back in or not. I know it's hard when the drug comes knocking at your door, um, but it's still up to you whether or not you let him back in. So that's still, you have that power. And so that responsibility is yours. And so you might have to make a decision that if you think, and it's a very common thing when we get close to someone, they pull away. But when we pull away, they come close to us, which itself is a sign of something not very healthy. But you always have that power of letting him back in or not. And so you might want to make a decision that, you know what, this is what I decide and you let him know and maybe he'll resist. Maybe then he'll try to pull you back in. But if you think the best thing is to move away from him, you have to put your foot down for yourself and even for him, but really it doesn't matter what he wants because if you don't want something, that's up to you and make that decision for yourself, but be firm with that. Yeah, that's correct. It's mostly emotionally that it it gets to me and it yeah. makes it really hard. I'm sure. And the way you're describing yourself when you're feeling down and feeling alone and then you have his companionship, I can get that it's hard to say no to it. And I'm not 100% sure it's the right thing to do, but I do want you to consider that if you feel that it's, holding you back or keeping you connected to him and doesn't let you heal and move on, that it might be better to do that. But I can get it that right now, the way you're describing yourself and hearing you on the phone, you're down. And if there's someone that makes you feel good, even if it's like a drug for a short time, um, you can find yourself going back to that. 
It's just you figuring out what's the best thing for you long term and trying to stick to that, even if it's painful in the short term. But please continue the therapy and, and seriously consider the medication because how you sound and how you're describing yourself, I think you'll benefit from it at least for some time. Yes, correct. Maybe I just change my medication. Maybe I start from a worse day because it definitely doesn't make me go to sleep. So it's not going to. Okay. Well, I mean, that's what. The worst day. And it's, you know, you're going to be doing it with the help of a psychiatrist and he or she can, will be helping you. It's not just you figuring it out. You have, you know, I think I hear what you're saying of you try to fix everything yourself. You don't have to fix yourself. I'm glad you're going to therapy, getting that help. The psychiatrist is going to guide you with the medication. You don't have to figure it out. Of course, your experience is what's important, but they're there with the knowledge to help you figure out what to do and either changing the medication, using a combination of medications, whatever it might be to give you the best result. But I, I hope you'll c consider that and get that help as well. But what about the addiction that they are saying? Oh, if you start taking medication, you're going to be addicted to it. And then it's no, it's not. Don't, don't worry about what people say, but we know things like antidepressant medications are not highly addictive at all to begin with. And the pain you're dealing with is something significant. So I wouldn't be so concerned about that. And that's why I don't want you to just take medication on your own or even with a general doctor. Go see a psychiatrist and get their supervision and care to make sure you're dealing with it the best way. Because you might need you might need antidepressants for years. It's possible some people do, but it can make your life significantly better. So I wouldn't get too concerned about that part. I would hope you just get the help, and it's usually not something addictive that you have to be too worried about anyway. Well, that's the part of the problem. I instead of living at the moment, I'm always living yeah a year ahead of myself. Or I'm or a few years behind too. You're still stuck in the yes. pain. And that's why I want you to, you know, and I don't, this is not about just doing what feels good in the moment because that can get us in a lot of trouble, but it's about making the best choice for, for now and even taking the future into account. But I don't see this as something concerning. I've worked with so many people who have been on antidepressants for years, for short periods of time, and, and it can be very helpful. I don't know exactly what your experience is going to be, but I don't want you to avoid it because you're afraid of getting hooked on it. So I, I really hope you'll go ahead and do that. I do have to get to a commercial break, but I, I appreciate you calling and do wish you all the best. Thank you. Thanks uh, for having my me. My pleasure. Have a good day. You too. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. All right, going into our last commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Yes, hi. Uh, yes, thank you for taking my call. Thanks for calling. Uh, uh, we have a 14-year-old daughter in mm -hmm. eighth grade, and it seems that there's a boy in her class that is showing some kind of an interest. Mm -hmm. And they do, you know, chat online, they play video games on Snapchat and all that. So the, we were wondering, you know, uh, how we should start up the conversation with her and, um, and most of all, we don't know if it is too early for her to be engaged in some sort of a, um, uh, I guess, a relationship with a boy at this age. Mm. And uh, we were wondering whether we should really start uh, enrolling her in some sort of a, 
relationship, educational classes or something. So we wanted to give some advice. Well, I don't know the the education relationship classes. I I can see how you're thinking about that, but I don't know if that's. It might be too early for that part too. And as I was mentioning with the caller earlier, her daughter was 13. Um, there's only so much we can do to control the situation or to make her do something or not do something. So I can understand your concern of wanting to make sure she doesn't do things you don't want her to do or get herself in any type of trouble, but there's only so much we can do. The best we can do is hope to allow her to talk to you guys or to talk especially maybe more to her mom if she's more comfortable with her if she ever wants advice but um really there's only so much you can do in this situation we, we you could tell her for example you can't talk to him but that would just create a power struggle with her and she would probably still do it behind your back anyway so there's not a whole lot that can be done in my opinion other than hopefully being able to talk to her and have conversations with her and that's about it what is what is it that you are concerned about well i'm uh, concerned that this may just go on too far and they may just engage in activities that are too early for them maybe and because she's kind of naive she doesn't know about all the all things about relationship and all that so yeah so you can have a conversation with her about those things and again maybe it'll be um, more comfortable for her to have that conversation with her mother uh, because of both being female and she can talk to her about those kinds of things. She probably knows about sex and things enough, but if you want to have that conversation with her, you can and you have to be careful because you can usually have those conversations say you should do this and shouldn't do this and you have to wait till this age to do this. Um, But really she's going to make the decisions on her own but if you're worried she doesn't know about certain things and consequences my guess is she already does know um do you mean like things like sex and what can happen if she has sex right yeah yeah more than likely she knows um not only do they usually teach it at school in some uh, i don't know sixth grade fifth grade but just from her friends and things she probably does know but your her mom can talk to her about that if you feel like that could be helpful um, but this is what's tough when our kids are young, the, they can get hurt and that scares us. But as they get older, they can start getting into more grown up types of situations and consequences that are scarier for us to think about, or we worry about them, but we really can't make the decisions for her. Unfortunately, we have to trust that she's going to make her decisions and sometimes get it right, sometimes get it wrong, but there's only so much we can do. At what age is, do they really uh, start having like meaningful relationship? At this time, I think maybe it's just maybe an innocent, you know, uh, friendship. But uh, we don't know at what age do they start serious relationship. Well, it depends on what you mean by me- you said meaningful the first time and serious. Um, you know, to them, and that's another thing. Actually, uh, one point is, although for us, when we hear a fourteen-year-old is in a relationship, we think, well. This is just kids play and it's not important. It's not that serious. But the emotions you might feel can be very serious. And so teenagers, especially when they enter relationships and if they break up, they can sometimes feel devastated and feel like this is the most painful thing ever and no one could understand how much I loved him or I loved her and the pain. And 
not that we want to exaggerate and say, you're right, this is the biggest deal ever, but we don't want to minimize their feelings also. We want to make sure that we show them that we care, we're sensitive to it. But when you say what age do they have meaningful relationships, I'm not sure exactly what you mean by that, by meaningful. Well, you know, where uh, they start sexual relationships, maybe, not. Well, sexual relationships, I mean, there's no age I can tell you they will start or they won't start. I'm sure in her middle school there are kids that are engaging in sexual behavior, different degrees. Um, I know you probably don't like to hear that or want to hear that, but that's the reality of it does happen in middle school, um, in other, uh, not just intercourse, but other types of sex, and even sometimes intercourse kids can be having it at that age. So it is possible, um, if it's your question, if is, uh, is this person interested, is she interested? Obviously, I can't answer that. And I could see why it would be concerning for you, but it, it does happen in middle schools. Yes, so, so based on that, you don't recommend sending her to some sort of a, like sexual education courses or something like that, that they explain everything to them? So what do you want them to explain to her? Well, the consequences of having a serious relationship, just, just in case if she doesn't know, for example, you know, pregnancy. Yeah, but that's why I was saying, I don't know, what kind of relationship does she have with her mom? Mm, fairly okay. Not, you know, it seems that she's hiding a little bit, but, okay. uh, yeah. Well, in this uh, age, they're going to hide a little bit more, and it can be hard for okay. parents to accept that, and more of their life becomes, even if it's not hiding, but private. So just because that's an, uh, an important point, that sometimes we think if someone is hiding something, it has to be something really bad. But sometimes uh, as, as kids get older, just like we ourselves, we, we want to have space. You might not want to tell everyone everything that's going on in your life, not because things are bad, because we're all entitled to having our own personal and psychological space. So just because she hides things from you guys or keeps things from you guys doesn't necessarily mean she has to be doing something really bad or something you would disapprove of. But if you want her to know about the consequences of sex, like I said, probably she knows. My guess is at 14, she knows already, but your wife or her mom can talk to her about that. These conversations are usually pretty uncomfortable. We really want to gauge how the child is feeling because they probably won't be looking forward to it, but you can have that kind of conversation. But um, like I said, my guess is she already does know. I can get that you're concerned about those consequences, uh, but I don't know if we, I would send her to a class that to me might be too much. Again, if your only concern is I want her to know that intercourse can relate uh, result in pregnancy, my guess is she already knows. But if you want your her mom to talk to her about it, you can have that conversation with her and say, what do you think about talking to her about these things? Um, in most Persian families, you know, in American families, they'll talk about having the quote unquote, the talk where mm -hmm. they talk to them. And most Persian families, that never happens because we keep sex very taboo and we try not to talk about things. Um, but we shouldn't do that. We should make it okay to talk about these things. So I hope your wife can have that conversation with her. Um, but we have to be ready that she's not going to look forward to it. More than likely, she'll be very uncomfortable. And it might be a short conversation, but it just opens up the door that also might let her know if she has any questions, she can ask. Um, but to me, sending her to a class, I don't even know what kind of classes there are, might be a little bit too much. And I don't know if it's going to be worth it. If really the basis is maybe you want to know her to know about sexually transmitted diseases and pregnancy. And that that's about it. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Thank you very much. Sure. Thanks for your call.
Bye. So, you know, a few things that came up um, with him, uh, and as our the kids become teenagers, it does get a little scarier because the things that they can get involved with, things like drugs and alcohol and risky behaviors, even being more risky that they can injure themselves in more serious ways and then uh, sex and pregnancy and those things do concern us. But it's tough because as a parent, we can only do so much. We can't control our kids. We can only hope that we raise them to make the best decisions that they can and also recognize they're sometimes going to get things wrong and that's okay. They're going to make their mistakes. Very often as parents, we can realize that when we were kids, we did some things or as teenagers, we did things, but now we don't want our kids to do those same things. Almost like we think, well, I had to go through it to learn from my mistakes, but I don't want my kid to have to make those same mistakes to learn. And realistically, we have to let them fall themselves and make their same mistakes that we made. Unfortunately, what's scary for parents is the mistakes become more significant. We get afraid, what if my child gets pregnant? That's not a mistake that you can just dust yourself off from and recover. It could literally change your life. And it's understandable those things can scare us a little bit more. But we have to recognize that we can only do so much. And as I was telling that parent, your kids usually do know a lot about these things. The best you can do is show them it's okay to talk about these things. And in lots of families, and especially in a lot of Iranian families, we make it not okay to talk about sex, or we never talk about it, so our kids think it's not something they can come to us to ask about. And we can be afraid that if we talk about it, then we're telling them at some level we're okay with them doing something. But it's not about we're saying it's okay to do something, we're just saying we know that this is something that will come about in your life, or other kids in your school will be talking about it, or you might get approached about these things, whether it's drugs or sex or whatever else. So we thought it's good to have a conversation. And we don't want to put too much pressure on that first conversation, which unfortunately we oftentimes do when we put so much pressure on it that we don't have it at all. We want to make it that it's just to open things up and recognize that we're not going to solve all of the questions our kid has. Your kid might even be so uncomfortable that they won't even say anything and they'll remain silent. But what you're hopefully doing is creating a bridge between you and your child that lets them know it's okay to talk to you about these things, just like really it's okay for them to talk to you about anything they want to talk about. We're trying to create those bridges and connections that if you want to talk about drugs or alcohol or sex, you can. You don't have to, but I am here for you. Just like I've mentioned before, if you've mentioned suicide before, you're letting your child know or whoever your loved one is, know that even if right now they're not dealing with it, it is a topic you are willing and okay to talk about. We want to show the people we care about, especially our kids, that we're there for them to talk about any issue. Nothing is off limits. And the best way we can do that is to have conversations with them and show them that we're comfortable talking about those things, that they don't have to be afraid. Yes, it can be a little uncomfortable or even awkward to talk about certain topics, but we don't ever have to avoid them, that we can have the conversations even if it feels uncomfortable. So the first thing is as parents to become comfortable with it. I think a lot of times parents are more uncomfortable than the kids or they have a harder time bringing up those types of topics and we have to be okay with it to then initiate those conversations and to show our kids it's okay to talk about these things, whatever it is you want to talk about, I'll be there. And recognize at the end of the day, as scary as it is to send our kids out into this world and not be able to control everything that happens to them and everything that they do, that that's all we can do. We can only trust that they will hopefully make the best decisions they can and they'll recover from them 
and we'll be there for them if they ever need our love or support, but that we'll trust them to make those decisions themselves. So thank you to that caller and all the callers today. The book of the week again is The Body Keeps the Score, Brain, Mind, and Body in the Healing of Trauma by Bessel van der Kolk. And again, there's no show Monday for me this week. So next Wednesday, I'll talk about that book with you and look forward to your calls then. Wanted to thank Amir, who was here to start the show, and Farhuda, who was here to wrap it up. And again, all the callers and listeners out there, you've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Jalakwi. Have a wonderful day. 